Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Priya Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today we're going to do a very special coronavirus pandemic edition with my friend Heather Malin who is the VP for Advancement at Brooklyn Historical Society and Interim CFO. Actually, Heather, I don't know if you know this, but you have the highest rated episode of Nonprofit Lowdown in the history of Nonprofit Lowdown, which is just a year and a half old, but still the highest rated episode. That makes me so happy. And I'm so honored that um, you've had me on the show not once, but twice now. Um, It's just a thrill. And I'm very happy. Well, I won't say I'm happy to be here today, but I'm glad to be talking to you in, in good times and in bad. Oh, you're such a sweetheart, Heather. So Heather, today we are talking about um, this unprecedented crisis that all of us are facing. I mean, there is no playbook for this coronavirus epidemic and, or sorry, pandemic, I should say, and the challenges facing the nonprofit sector as fundraisers. So quick takes, like, what are your thoughts about this? Wow. Well, you know, this is unprecedented. Um, You know, fundraisers over the last 20 years have been through all kinds of crises. The stock market collapse in 2008, 9-11, years before that, Katrina, there there are many different instances we can think of where things were really, really in a bad situation. This, I think, is bigger than any of those situations just because of the incredibly large impact on all sectors of the economy and people's ability to act and, and, and take new action just because we're all at home. As much as remote working is fabulous, there are a lot of things that have come to a halt, especially when you talk about nonprofits that are either delivering service, open to the public, whatever their model may be. So I think we have, there are some lessons from the past to be learned, and then we're going to have to do some, some thinking on our feet. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you say that, I, I often think about fundraisers because I always think about fundraisers, but the, the best work that we do is face-to-face. And what do you do when you actually can't make the asks in person? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. I also was thinking over the last couple of days about how the last really huge shock that I think a lot of us went through was the 2008 financial crisis. And I've been thinking about how much the way that we communicate with donors has changed in those, oh my gosh, 12 years. It's been a, a while. Makes me feel old. In a way now, we're, we're that much more comfortable interacting in, in different kinds of ways. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out today when that's, you know, really being tested. I mean, you know, over the last several days, I've found out that, you know, Zoom, Team viewer, go to meeting. Um, you know those companies are so inundated with requests for people to start communicating that way. It's really like a statement on you know how there's a sea change going on, and it's going to be a little while. But but it's definitely the case that you know for lots of different donor relationships, there's nothing that's better than than the face to face. And I think we're going to have to learn how to live without that for a little while. Before we started recording, you said something I'd love you to elaborate on, which is this crisis is really going to force nonprofits to get super clear 
about the value proposition that they bring to the table and the needs that they have. So can you tell me a little bit more about what that looks like for fundraisers? I think there are many, many, you know, in the, in the last 10 years, the number of nonprofits organizations in the United States has grown 20%. For-profit businesses have grown, you know, by two to 3% in number. So there are a lot of nonprofits out there. Uh, the figure we were talking about was something like 66% have budgets under $500,000. So these are not you know, the daddy warbucks of nonprofits that have huge billion dollar endowments. And, you know, I'm fairly sure are going to weather the storm no matter what happens. These are organizations that nobody telegraphs this during, during the course of business, but many, many, many nonprofits operate payroll to payroll or each fiscal year, you know, just make it to the end by hook or by crook, depend on unexpected windfalls to, you know, make them whole each year, or are, are close to that. So those businesses always say this, so I sound like a broken record, but nonprofits are businesses. It's a business model. It's a type of business. And those nonprofits that are teetering on the edge before coronavirus hits are going to be thrown for an enormous loop with this in place. And so so I think that it is vital that nonprofits use this as an opportunity to really be crystal clear about what their business model is, look at where their cost centers are, look at where their income streams are, and think about doing business differently changing the way that you deliver service, being more streamlined in terms of what it is you're trying to accomplish, how you fulfill your mission. I think organizations that don't take this as an opportunity to look at their business model will be behind the curve because there's the immediate impact of the crisis. And then after this crisis, we are going to be in a very bad recession. No one's using the D word yet. No one would, would dare talk about depression, but uh, our economy is, is, was already headed for a correction. This, this is going to take us way past that. So that, that, that's really you know, my kind of uh, the, the meta approach to, to nonprofits at this time. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I agree with you. And yet I, I feel the need to be a little bit more optimistic for folks. Um, I, I do think that, that things are going to get tough. And at the same time, the services at nonprofits are essential more now than ever. And, and I do think, you know, this is an opportunity for you to really rally your community around you. This is a time that you need to pull your board in closer and, and not to give in to despair. I mean, speaking of 2008, I remember being in board meetings where, you know, I had board members like wringing their hands and throwing them up in the air. And again, that wasn't terribly helpful either. So I think that we will see the sector contracting um, and the strong will survive. And the ones that do survive are the ones that are very smart about controlling their costs, thinking about how to deliver their services smartly. And the ones, frankly, who have been really good at stewarding their donors. I mean, how many nonprofits do we know who think of their donors as like walking ATMs who they only hear from like once a year? So the ones who are actually, you know, ha have cultivated relationships, I think will be the ones who are most likely to survive. Would you agree with that? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think perhaps my new, right, right now in my day job, I am both the head of development and the head of finance. I think being the head of finance has made me um, slightly more doom and gloom than I used to be. So, uh, you know, yay, financial realities. Uh, so <laughs> I guess that's where my brain is going. But I absolutely agree with you. And I think that one of the things that I take away from 2008 that I think was really effective was communicating clearly with your donors. One thing in 2008 that I think I was impressed by nonprofits that did this, did this really, really benefited from it, was really being clear in communicating with donors about what their mission is, what they're delivering, what their impact on the community is, and why they're more important now than ever to the communities that they serve. So it's an opportunity to communicate very clearly and in a compelling way to your donor base um, and remind them why it is that they support you in the first place. Without being too Pollyanna-ish about it, I do think this is an opportunity to lean in and show leadership because at this point in time, it does feel really desperate and it does feel really hopeless. And so if we as a sector and as individual leaders can really lean into this moment and show a, a way forward and show that hope is here and that we are taking care of the most vulnerable, you know, what, what better role can we play in this world? I also have been thinking, I, I work in the arts and culture sector and I've been thinking about how the shot, you know, Broadway's gone dark. The, all of our museums are closed all the places that you, when you sit at home and have nothing to do on a Monday afternoon, um, like today, you know, think, oh, well, we could go to the Met or we could go to the Museum of Natural History or let's go to the aquarium. Well, people are really going to start to realize the importance of arts and culture in their lives. And I'm sure, you know, if I worked, you know, in the education sector, that's, that's what would immediately come to mind. But, but I think that, that, that will be an interesting moment um, in terms of people understanding and thinking about what's why they support what they support. Getting this image of my in my mind of um, necessary evolution based on environmental change. So, like I'm in my mind thinking about dinosaurs right now. <laughs> Funny you should mention American history museum. I think part of adapting to your environment is getting really clear about what it is you actually do well. And I think I've seen this with a lot of nonprofits that they have kind of seen some mission drift or that their different departments have become a little bit bloated because they were following the money. And so I think this is kind of a reckoning around like, let's be honest with yourself about what it is you actually do well, the best uh, of anyone else and how to articulate your value around that with the people who have historically supported you. There's always kind of fundamental planning and implementation around what it is you intend to do as a nonprofit that often gets relegated to kind of these strategic planning cycles that people go through. And then in between those cycles, there isn't so much invested on that because everyone's busy doing their job. You know, there's it's not like you your most nonprofits have, you know, these tons of staff members just waiting around for some work to do. Everybody's got three jobs. So revisiting 
the fundamentals of what you do and how you do it often doesn't get done. And so it's moments like this that, that, that force you to kind of stop and look at what you're doing and how you're delivering what you do and think a little differently about it. Uh, One thing that we didn't talk about is uh, murders. So I had Daniel Mabutzi on a couple weeks ago, and uh, I don't know if it was quite prescient, but I think that we need to put mergers, collaborations, partnerships on the table as a serious um, option. Totally agree. And I listened to that podcast and and Daniel is, is fantastic. And I was really interested in everything that he said. You know, so I work at the Brooklyn Historical Society, and we uh, are currently pursuing a merger with the Brooklyn Public Library, um, which there was an an article in the New York Times about about two and a half weeks ago. And we've been working on it for a little bit. And we plan to close that merger around the end of June this year, though, haha, uh, the best laid plans um, often get delayed by pandemics. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Everything seems to be up in the air these days. But I feel like that mergers and kind of partnering with other nonprofits is something that is so smart that that I think anytime you have a nonprofit or a business that exists, there's some kind of sense that if you were to kind of give yourself up to another partner, I think for the acquiring institution, it's it's a different position. But a lot of organizations don't want to think about partnering because they feel like they're going to lose who they are or they're you know, not going to, it's not going to be the same. And I would really encourage nonprofits to think about the fact that merging, having a strategic alliance, doing some kind of partnership with another nonprofit may be the best way for you to do the work that you so desperately want to do. It can provide you with, and both institutions or all of the institutions, if it's more than two, Evolve can be greater than the sum of their parts. And I think it takes a little bit of a leap in kind of the emotional investment you have in the way things are now and and thinking in terms of really kind of blowing up whatever model you have and 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 envisioning it in a new way. You know, in the case of 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 this merger, there's no question that BPL and BHS both gain uh, so much through through partnering. And, you know, BHS gets the ability to, you know, deliver all the amazing work that it does to all of the library branches in Brooklyn, just, you know, 59 plus branches. And that's like, we, there's no way we as a five or $6 million organization are going to reach as many people as the Brooklyn Public Library does, which is, you know, a $140 million operation. So it's really exciting. And I think it took a lot of kind of vision to think about that and suggest it. And our, you know, president and our board and the Brooklyn Public Library's president and board really encouraged to think about this. But I think this is a time when I hope people think that way. Joining forces may may be the best way to ensure that small and medium-sized nonprofits continue. There are going to be many businesses that don't make it through this crisis and the economic impact to come. That's just a fact. And again, nonprofits are businesses. So there are going to be nonprofits that don't make it through. So I think the time to think about these issues is now and to really make yourself open to 
solutions and, 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 and configurations you maybe hadn't considered before. What are your thoughts about continuing to ask? So, you know, my inclination is that you shouldn't back off of asking, but that instead you should be super specific about the thing that you're asking for and tie what you're asking for directly to the impact of what's happening. Yes, totally hard agree. I mean, cannot stop asking. Um, nobody gives you money if you don't ask for it. Well, almost nobody. And I think that it is really important. People are being inundated with news and messages. And I've gotten a coronavirus update from everybody from the Kava, where I usually get lunch, up to the Ford Foundation. You know, everybody in the world is providing an update on Corona. So, you know, you have to be careful about what your communications are and, and not overwhelm people. But I think in the near term, again, like you were saying earlier about being really crystal clear about what it is that you do, communicating that to your donors, telling them that you need support. And I would say not trying to get, uh, as, as you said to me earlier, Rhea, not trying to get too cute about the message. Tell donors what you need. Be honest with them. Everyone, no one's going to be surprised to hear that you need money to keep your business going. Nobody's going to be surprised to hear that in order to uh, reach the constituents you need to reach, you need more support. That's not a crazy thing to ask for. And um, I think now is a time to be plain about that and really let your donors know how they can help you. And what would you say about this, the strategy of calling your donors as opposed to email? Because I actually think my inclination is because we're all like kind of socially distancing ourselves. This would actually be the time to reach out. So even though you can't do it so in person, like pick up the phone. Would, I mean, would you agree with that? Completely. I 100% think picking up the phone and calling a donor is the right thing to do. I mean, obviously everybody knows their own donors and knows that there are certain people who don't want to be called out of the blue and you want to schedule a time with them. You got to handle everybody right. But I think people appreciate the human contact. And as long as it's the right person making that call and they have, you know, they're, they're clear about what they want to ask from the donor, you know, is it just a check-in? Is it a call to ask for something? Have you prepped them to be asked or, you know, all of that stuff. I think it all needs to be planned in the right way. But I think you can't, it can't hurt really can't hurt. So last thing, and I think you, I don't know if you'd be comfortable sharing this information, but I think you said something really powerful about a call to action for funders to step up. And I'm wondering if you could share that with the listeners. Oh yeah, absolutely. So day, uh, I got a message from uh, the Ford Foundation as someone who works for a nonprofit that's been a, a recipient of their funding and I thought it was a, I, I, I really was impressed by it. And, and I'm going to paraphrase and probably get it wrong. So don't, don't hold me to every word of this. But essentially what they said was, if we're, we understand that nonprofits are going to go through an extreme emergency right now, and that foundations have critically underfunded general operating support and and uh, infrastructure at nonprofits. And with all of that in mind, they're going to be very flexible about how grantees spend the money that they've been granted by the Ford Foundation. 
in order to be able to spend that money on the things that they need to spend it on, going outside of perhaps the exact deliverables that had been associated with the grant um, when it was given. You know, I think this is absolutely 100% what the funding community needs to be thinking about right now. There, it is going to be impossible for, you know, at the Historical Society, we do amazing educational programs. Well, the schools are currently closed and maybe closed through the end of the year. That doesn't mean we can't deliver educational programs, but they're not going to be the same. They fundamentally can't be the same. And so that example is going to be amplified a hundred thousand times over at all of the different nonprofits that are trying to deliver all different kinds of programs. And I think that funders would see more success from the dollars that they've given if they are more impact from those dollars they've given, if they trust the nonprofits to deploy them in the ways that are going to be most effective in, in the coming weeks and, and, and months. Um, I, I think that's, that's really important. And I hope, I hope other, other donors will, will follow suit. Well, and I just want to end this with uh, on a later note, which is I think historically, if you look at the history of philanthropy in this country, number one, you know, even though we are facing an unprecedented economic crisis, like there is actually still plenty of money out there. And I think history has shown that in times of crisis, people tend to give more generously, not less. And so, you know, to the extent that you are able to really find your tribe and the people who truly love and support you, no matter what is how you're going to get through this. I couldn't agree more. And um, people are really will surprise you um, in the darkest days. So, you know, we all we all have to really think about one another. And, um, you know, part of the reason we're social distancing is because we care about people we've never met and will, uh, you know, never see. And that's what the nonprofit sector does. It delivers, delivers services of all different kinds to people who you'll never meet or you'll never see, but desperately need them. So yeah, yeah. I look forward to, to seeing the, the good that, that may come out of this. All right. Well, good luck to everyone out there. Stay safe and we will be back next week. Thanks so much, Heather. You're the best. No, that's you, Rhea. You're the best. You're the best. <laughs>